Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome back. Thanks for making us a part of your Tuesday. We've had a fun show already today, Gordon, and uh, more to come. Chris Mannix, 430. Bowler's going to be in the House of Five. My second not sports report of the day coming up at 4.50. Very excited. <laughs> Just don't do the galloping woman, all right? They lifted my bit, did they? Um, hold on here a second. One of our listeners uh, made note that I said it's not that nice, and then I paused and asked your, my coworkers what their worth was. Come on, I didn't say that. You did say that. I That's did. how I remember yeah. it. That's, that happened. You asked, not me. Right. But then you said, you asked, no, I just said, what's worth more, the car or Austin's net worth? And you said, uh, Austin, how much you worth? Oh, all right. Uh, well, then. You yeah, paused but, for, yeah, but for I, a while. And yeah, but I, what the implication wasn't, well, my car's not that nice. Austin, what are you worth? No, like, it was like, that your car's really nice, and then I might not be worth as much as your car. That's that was what the never, pause was. That was never my implication. That was your, then why would you have to pause? Yeah. That was your implication. Not I mine. asked a question. Yeah, but you were the one that weren't doing the asking. I was just sitting here. And you answered, and your your answer spoke volumes. <laughs> that pause. Hmm. How much you worth, Austin? Silence is very loud. Yeah, I agree. Jake wears a nice driving hat every day. You should be driving... What should he be driving with that hat? My uh, a 43 cl- Wildcat. A, cl- <laughs> a classic MG? A uh, Hudson. An 09 Hyundai, Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> I don't know. Something. That's okay. a little bit beat up and has uh, 250 Probably a gearless bicycle. Miles. No. No, what absolutely you, what not. What year is your car? 09. It looks older than that. Wow. You beat the living daylights out of that car. But yet still running. <laughs> 215,000 miles later. Going strong. Still running. All right. Hmm. I got another couple years out of that thing, too. I'm going to get to three. Mark my words. Hey, shout when out. I, when I bought my first car that I liked, my dad actually uttered these words to me, or this is the way I remember it. Anybody who's as ugly as you are needs a car like that. So you're compensating for something. So that's right. I knew that all along. <laughs> we all put that together, Gordon. I don't think my dad said that, come to think of it, but he might have. We um, all um. know. You see a car like that and you think to yourself, that guy is compensating for something. <laughs> now now this guy says, LMFAO, Gordon Monson, it's okay. We all know Austin Horton's worth. Well, now he's saying that you're valuable. Or is he saying we all know that he's not? I would say he's saying that you're valuable to the show okay. and the station. All right. You better hope that's what he means. <laughs> I'm going to be mad. Thanks for your participation, but it wasn't meant the way that was being implied. It that's, that was, was so. No, it wasn't. Yeah, that's it, what it you were trying. Anyway, all right. Uh, shout out to our friend Eric Woodyard of the Deseret News. He covers the Utah Jazz. He uh, uh, had a interview with Carlos Boozer, and Booz 
is kind of coming to town. He's actually not. But uh, the. <laughs> well, is he or isn't he? Well, no, here's the thing. You know Ice Cube's three on three basketball league? Uh-huh. It's uh, stopping in Salt Lake City. It's making a stop here, which uh, I think is. Pretty cool, actually. Uh, July 27th, and Boozer has a team called the Ghost Ballers. They actually have a bye week uh, when the, the event's here. Well, but, it'll, it'll probably be hurt anyway. Uh, it, it would surprise me if he was here, even if he's not playing. You know, I'm sure they like to do, you know, make the rounds and do interviews to promote it and that sort of thing. And Boozer obviously has a history here. But he did a uh, one-on-one with uh, Eric Woodyard of the Deseret News. And it covered a bunch, uh, a lot of ground. And uh, Eric did a nice job uh, with that interview. Um, but one thing, and, and this has been uh, a big topic of conversation this year in particular because of the, the interaction with the fan and Russell Westbrook and Salt Lake's reputation, and they're trying to attract a free agent. And I, these, um, uh, these comments stood out to me, Gordon, uh, because I know Carlos Boozer wasn't the most popular guy uh, when he was on the Jazz. He was at times, I suppose, but toward the end especially, he was—he mm-hmm. certainly was not. And it was because of his ambivalence. He has always, always, always been an advocate for Salt Lake City in this market. Well, that's nice to hear. Well, do you remember uh, he went on, I think it was a Miami radio station, uh, when he was uh, leaving to go to Chicago or was going through that whole process. And uh, he, the guys were kind of clowning around saying, oh, life in Salt Lake, I bet that's been painful, or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the normal crap that we yeah. hear. And he said, hold the phone, guys. Salt Lake's awesome. I really enjoyed my time there. Loved it. Don't have a negative word to say about it. I mean, I remember that. He abruptly stopped them and said, you know, that, that is, is not uh, – uh, not the way it is. And so he was asked, uh, here's the, the question that uh, Eric Woodyard asked. Uh, he said, do you think Salt Lake uh, City is on the rise? With the big three coming here, what do you think this shows as far as Salt Lake City growing a little bit to where Ice Cube would bring something like this here? Mm-hmm. And bear with me and, and jump in uh, whenever you want because it's, uh, it's a little bit long. But I think his, no, his, I think his response is really good. Uh, He says, I think it's showing open-mindedness. Like, even when I played there, that was a long time ago, but even when I played there back in the day, I was there from 2004 to 2010, like six years. When I played there, there's a stigma that it's just very white. To be quite frank, that's uh, that it's very white and not open to blacks or African-Americans. But they are, though. Carl Malone spent 18 years there, you know, and people uh, that go play there like to live and stay there. Even after Darren Williams left, got traded to New Jersey and went on with the rest of his career, he still still kept his house over there in Utah. I just came back again this year to go snowboarding. But you know what I mean? The uh, But there's this bad stigma of Utah uh, that it's not black friendly, but it is. I saw what happened with Russell Westbrook and that one fan, but that one fan isn't all the fans. That's uh, that's the isolated case. It may happen from time to time, but maybe it's that same guy every other year, but now he's been banned from the arena. So my point is, I think them being open to having the big three there, which is really a predominantly black league because there's predominantly black players in the league as Ice Cube is ru- uh, running uh, black people in the office. It's obviously open to everyone, but it's predominantly black owned. And them letting that in Salt Lake City shows that the progression of Utah, and that's awesome. I'm not trying to make it a racial thing, but just from a perception standpoint, I think it's awesome that they are bringing the big three to Salt Lake City. Oh, good for Carlos Boozer, man. That, that's, uh, I'm sure a lot of jazz fans are happy to hear him say that. And people who just live here. 
I think th- those are the kind of public voices that will actually have an impact when it comes to Salt Lake or Utah's reputation amongst NBA players. And that's why I hate it and I cringe every time we hear the like the Warriors popping off about nightlife and right. stuff like that. I, I absolutely cringe because it's like that's that's the people other players are listening to. And I, I love it that Carlos is saying this, and I love it that, most importantly, he had that experience yeah. here because that's what fact, people listen to. In spite to. of the fact that he was being heavily criticized for some of his situations on the court and off the court uh, dealing with injuries, there were a lot of people who were angry at Carlos Boos around here, but it had nothing to do with race. Yeah, they wanted to see him play. Like when he couldn't go in that game that ended up costing the Jazz a shot at the playoffs. With the abdominal strain. Yeah, I mean, people were angry at him, but it wasn't because he was African-American. It was because they wanted to see him play. Right. So, well, that's that's nice. That's a perspective you might not have expected from Carlos. And I think those are the – he's the exact type of person. Darren Williams, too, and throw in uh, other players that have come and stayed. Uh, even uh, I've heard Ron Boone talk about these mm-hmm. sorts of things. Those are the voices that other players will listen to. And those are these those are good things to be heard from a guy like Carlos Boozer, and you hope that other NBA players pay attention that, listen, that's not how it is. That might be the reputation. And for people to pretend like the reputation does not exist, that's ridiculous. The reputation is out there whether it's deserved or not, we hear it far too often to pretend that, oh, no, people don't think that about Salt Lake. Unfortunately, they do. But somebody who spent six years in our community is saying, oh, that is ridiculous, had a great experience there with the people. I think those are the the really important voices to get out there. And I love what he said about the Westbrook fan because that's something that you and I have, have talked about and I think was a little bit – blown out of proportion where people say, oh, this happens in Utah all the time. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have our buffoons. We do. Just like everybody everywhere else have the those fans that are, are take it ridiculously too far and absolutely should be held accountable for their actions. But let's not pretend like that bozo represents the rest of us or even comes close to it. And so I was I, I thought that I thought that that was a good part of what he had to say. Yeah, and so that's uh, yeah, that's a compliment to the fan base, and uh, you saw what Adam Silver said that the Jazz, as a franchise, reacted in a way, in a positive, strong way, in the uh, aftermath of that, and so maybe the message will get out. And I'm sure that Donovan Mitchell is out there talking to his buddies, saying, "Hey, man, this place is pretty good. Come on out and check it out." Not that. Not that Utah or Utahns should worry uh, excessively about what a bunch of young millionaires think about their community, but nobody wants to have the reputation as being some sort of biased or prejudiced. Or, you know, that's just uh, that's not what this community wants to be on the whole. And so when people accuse it of being that, then that, that stings a little. Carlos, uh, uh, some other tidbits in this interview. And again, I'd uh, jump online, Des, uh, DeseretNews.com. Eric Woodyard did a question and answer with Carlos Boozer, and it's it's terrific. Prop, props to Eric. Uh, a couple of other things that he said. Uh, Gordon, remember that infamous uh, interview with Kevin O'Connor when you two went back and forth where you said, Kevin, you've got to find a way to get a real center in here. You're uh, fundamentally flawed, and you've got to 
figure it out. And, and Kevin said, well, who am I supposed to trade for, Gordon? Give me an idea. I'm open to it. And you said, well, Kevin, that's not my job. That's your job. So who are you going to get? And he said, I don't know, Gordon. Why don't, why don't, they don't just grow on trees. Why don't you tell me who to get? And it went back and forth that way for about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Remember that whole thing? Yes, I do remember that. Thanks uh, for bringing that up. You're welcome. Yeah, one of the most uh, awkward moments of my producing career where I was like, oh, wow, is Gordon going to go back to the well? Kevin, who uh, are you going to get to come in here and be a center? But anyway, Carlos Boozer agreed with you. You ready for this part? Yeah. He said, quote, uh, he, he talks about leaving for Chicago, and he says, at the time, I asked management, meaning jazz management, to get us a real center, like a Marcus Camby type, someone that could block shots. You don't have to be Shaquille O'Neal, but if someone can block shots, rebound, play above the rim, and be athletic like Tyson Chandler, Marcus Camby, or DeAndre Jordan, then we will have a real chance to win a championship. If we can't get a guy like that, then we have trouble with size. San Antonio had more size than us. The Lakers had more size than us and the teams that we kept losing to. We knew we could beat the Rockets and the Nuggets and everybody in the West except the Spurs and Lakers. And then he goes on. He says, uh, I'm 6'9", member of 6'11", Paul Millsap 6'8". So that was our trio of big men that played heavy minutes. Obviously, the Spurs had Tim Duncan, who was a Hall of Famer, Tony Parker, Hall of Famer, Manu Ginobili, Hall of Famer, and they had a young Kawhi Leonard, but they had veteran players with size. And then he goes on to describe the Lakers in a similar fashion. Hmm. Well, yeah, we agree on that, Carlos. Look at that smirk coming across <laughs> your face right there. Well, I mean, I don't think it was anybody's secret. Uh, I think it was just a matter of uh, prioritizing fixing it. And uh, it really didn't get done. Well, it's not a problem anymore, is you, it? You know what really stands out to me about that is that that is the almost opposite thinking of today's NBA. This wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And boy, how things have changed. Nobody cares about size anymore. I mean, it matters, but not significantly like that. I mean, the Jazz uh, three-man, big-man rotation, 6'9", 6'11", 6'8", you could get away with that in today's day, uh, today's NBA. Especially with Mehmet being able to shoot it the way he could. Right. Talk about a guy who was ahead of his time. I wonder if one of the reasons Carlos brought that up is because he was not exactly a defensive stopper. I know. Can you imagine how happy Carlos would have been having Rudy Gobert stand behind him? Which is another reason that you would think that players, free agents, would might want to come here. I've I've thought about that quite a bit. I, I thought about that when Hayward left. Why would you want to leave Rudy? He doesn't he doesn't take the ball away from you. He doesn't detract for anything you do. Yeah. And he makes up for a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> What's not the like? Why wouldn't you love to play with a dude like that? That uh, logic. He wanted to go play with his college coach. And then one other note that I, I thought was interesting, uh, Boozer uh, basically said, um, he said he was the go-between, I won't uh, read this part, but he said he was the go-between, he was kind of the middleman when it came to Darren Williams and Jerry Sloan's relationship. Mm. And he said that when he left, that buffer was gone, and that was the reason that the relationship fell apart. So he was the key. That Booz could more effectively communicate what Darren was feeling to Jerry. What a humble thing to believe and about so, yourself. <laughs> no, but I, I, and it all fell apart when I left. True or not, isn't that an interesting glimpse into into team chemistry and, and how just little relationships like that can be? Well, I, when I talked with Darren Williams when he after his first season here, remember that three-part uh, profile I did on him uh-huh. where he went through his life story and he told me that I, quote, I blanking hated him. Speaking of Jerry Sloan, mm-hmm. 
Why? Because he didn't play him. He said, and again, I'm quoting, we would have made the playoffs had he played me instead of, what's the guy's name? Milt, Milt Palacio. <laughs> Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Who was the other guy? Didn't he have some other journeyman? Yeah. Uh, uh, Livingston. No. no. It was. Uh, Who was it? It was Milt Keith Palacio. McLeod. There you yeah. go. Keith McLeod. Yeah. Never saw a layup he could make. <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought two guys. like I liked both of them. I liked Jerry and I liked Darren Williams, even though Darren thought I, I guess, was going after him a little bit here and there. But uh, I liked him. I liked him better than most guys in the media did because he sat down with me and told me his whole story. And, and it was uh, interesting to get the background of why he was the way he was. So anyway, I would uh, make sure and check out that Q&A. Uh, with Eric Woodyard, I thought uh, both he and Booz did a nice job. But the, the the thing that really stood out to me is him, you know, talking about the the misperception of of Salt Lake City and yeah. what living here is like. And and again, he's always been an advocate for this area. He never said a bad word about Utah or Salt Lake City. In fact, quite the contrary. Well, we like to think that that's the way it is here. But uh, channeling Kyle Korver a little bit, uh, I I I I can't you know I can't speak to that experience not being African-American. But Carlos can. Yeah. And that's why I think his words should hopefully carry a lot of uh, a lot of weight. But we all want to believe that that's the way it is here, right? Mm-hmm. A more positive, accepting uh, community that welcomes everybody. I mean, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want people to think about us? Well, and, and, and it's what we want the reality to be. Exactly. All right, we want to remind you about our friends at Youth Conference Football as they introduce their new fall flag football league, boys and girls ages 5 to 7. Learn to play, love the game, have great experience. Come play flag football. Sign up today at youthconferencefootball.org. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated uh, joins us next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Joined now by Ken Pomeroy. You're a local guy. What's your favorite local sports radio show? You know, I'm a big fan of the Movie Zone. Is that a sports show? No, no, no. Sports, uh, sports, sports, Ken. Stay oh, with me. Come on, oh, Come on. Okay. Uh, I guess it would be uh, DJ and PK. Make a promo out of that. That was pretty convincing, I thought. <laughs> yeah, you really sold it. That was awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty low bar here, though, so we're not really going to get all that worked up. All right, guys. Thanks for having me, and I, I truly, uh, truly love your show and, and wake up to it every morning. How's that? Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10. Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Steven requested a the lowrider total request Tuesday with a car theme in honor of Gordon and his nice car. It's a big show, 97.5, nice <laughs> 12.80 The Zone. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Want to remind you, customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with Flex Lease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Of course, he uh, makes the magic happen for Sports Illustrated. He's our good friend Chris Mannix with us on the big show. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? 
So, hey, we're going to be heavy basketball, but how about a boxing question right off the bat? I'm sure you saw that Andy Ruiz uh, thing coming from a mile away, right? (laughs) No, and I had, uh, you know, as as part of the broadcast team with the zone, I had my one of my first major foot and mouth moments when, you know, Joshua put Ruiz down, and, and this clip that you've seen now that third round, one of the best rounds of of, of not just the year, but the last few years, when Joshua put Ruiz down, I said on the air, you know, Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. And 10 seconds later, Joshua goes down. So not my, not my finest moment as, as a boxing broadcaster, but look, it's, it's up there with Tyson versus Douglas with Lennox Lewis, Asim Rachman with, you know, Vladimir Klitschko, Corey Sanders, all, all the top-shelf upsets we've seen in the last few decades. It's kind of one of those, those, you, you, one of those fights you'll remember for a very long time. I, I guess this is a sort of a simple question, a difficult answer, but how does this happen, Chris? I mean, when you look at him and you look at the two, you just think it can't happen. Yeah, but it's, it's often said boxing is not a bodybuilding competition. And, you know, Andy Ruiz, uh, you know, there were a number of, of scorching hot, terrible takes on Andy Ruiz in the aftermath. And, and certainly he took a lot of abuse uh, on social media before the fight because we live in uh, a social media age where, you know, all the, the face-to-faces and the, the visuals of these two guys, you got, you know, Joshua's kind of cut out of granite and, Andy Ruiz is this sort of dad bod type of, of fighter, uh, but Andy Ruiz is not a joke. I mean, he he was he fought under top ranks banner for a number of years. They they groomed him from a prospect. He's got a deep amateur background, and he only had one loss in his career, and that was to Joseph Parker, who was the world champion at the time. So, and that fight was extremely close. That that doesn't mean that we should have been putting money on Ruiz to win or expect him to win. I just don't think we should be surprised when he puts forth uh, a good performance. What, what we're shocked by, what I was shocked by, was that when he took that big left hand and went down, that's where Joshua finishes, guys. That's what I was saying when I said Joshua was a great finisher. He's got 21 knockouts in his 22 wins, and he's done it largely through great finishing. And, and Andy Ruiz got up off the canvas and not only recovered – but fought back, and that's not something I or anybody saw coming. His reaction afterward, though, man, how, if you're a sports fan, how can you not enjoy a moment like that? You know? Yeah, I mean, look, he's, uh, he took the fight on short notice. He had another fight six weeks ago, uh, and frankly, I thought that helped him. You know, if you ask the people with the top rank who dropped him about a year ago, you know, the biggest reason that y- you couldn't bet on Andy Ruiz was because he his inactivity you know, kept him out of the gym, and he, he just didn't stay focused enough to be uh, to, to maximize his talent but because he was in a fight six weeks ago he was able to you know stay in, in relatively good shape and uh, and and stay kind of sharply conditioned I mean there's no question over seven rounds Andy Ruiz was the better conditioned fighter and that's remarkable given what they look like in the ring and did I see you tweeting about it today Chris that they've got a rematch already pretty much ready to go yeah, when, when you have when when you give a guy uh, a title shot the way Joshua gave Ruiz a title shot, you protect yourself in the case of situations like this. So they had Joshua had a, a rematch clause in the contract. He has total control over the entire operation. Um, it'll take place either November or December, someplace in the United Kingdom. So they'll go back to Joshua's home turf and uh, have a rematch there. 
So, Chris, uh, this NBA Finals now, is there anybody left for the uh, Warriors to put on the floor? I mean, if they, they've lost three or potentially have lost three very important aspects to this team, what, what do you think the effect is going to be moving forward? Well, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Steph Curry to have the offensive game or games of his life. Um, you know, you saw what what Toronto was willing to do with that box and one defense, which I hadn't seen them do at all. Um, you know, this season, I've read some stuff where they they experimented with it during the regular season, but I hadn't seen it at all. And you know, and it was effective because you know the Golden without you know Thompson and Durant, Golden State doesn't have a lot of shooters out there on the floor. And I look, I, I saw some video footage i'm not in oakland for the next two games but i saw some video footage of of thompson moving around out there on the floor and i'm just skeptical he's going to be able to 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 give it any serious go i mean it's not offensively that he could be problematic for him it's defensively because if you're nick nurse wherever you see clay thompson that first quarter you got to go at him and you got to make him prove that he can stay with anyone uh, moving laterally clay thompson at his best is one of the better defenders in the league but you got to make him make him prove that he's over the hamstring injury and hamstring injuries that that force you out of games. You know, oftentimes those are you know a week to ten day type of things at least. So uh, I think Clay's going to do everything he can, and the guy's been an Iron Man when it comes to playoff games. But you know, just watching him today in some of the footage I saw, I, I just I have a hard time believing he can be truly effective. Um, you know, coming off that injury. Chris Mannix with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, does the outcome of this series, or I guess will the outcome of this series, have any effect on Kawhi's offseason decision? I, I think it, it'll have an impact. I, I just don't know how big an impact. I think everything that's happened this postseason has had an impact. I was in Chicago talking to some of the Raptors officials during the Combine, and one thing that they were telling me was that you know they, they hope that some of the moments that Kawhi's experienced as a Raptor resonate with him come July you know, there's no greater moment than what happened in Game 7 of the second-round series against Philadelphia, uh, winning uh, four straight, the last of which on your home floor in the conference finals is a great moment. He's really experienced the best a Toronto crowd in these situations has to offer. And if they can win a championship and, you know, Kawhi's comfortable with this, uh, with this organization and with the, the way it is moving forward, I, I don't see any reason to believe why he wouldn't go back there. I mean, I, I, Kawhi is certainly a tough guy to crack and there's certainly a lot to him that we don't know but you know i i do think the the, the way this season has gone not just this series but the way the entire postseason has gone is going to be a factor in Kawhi's decision i saw that the uh finals ratings are down chris to what do you attribute that well i mean for starters canada i mean you know the u.s doesn't you know tnt doesn't gain anything off the canadian uh, the Canadian number, that's that's the first and foremost part of it. I mean, they, uh, or I should say ESPN and ABC, they don't gain anything off it. And that's always been a problem for broadcasters when Toronto has been, you know, the few times Toronto has been good. And look, LeBron being out of it is, is part of it. And, uh, you know, the perceived lack of, of, of appeal of the Raptors uh, is part of it. But that's just the way it goes. I think the NBA in general, even though their broadcast partners might not be thrilled, the NBA has got to love that there's a new team in the in the finals. And in the coming years, there could be several new teams in the finals if the Warriors wind up breaking up uh, this offseason. So I, I think this is all kind of a good trend for the NBA to be going towards. So that's something I hadn't really thought of when I was considering this. You're right. They don't get credit for the Canadian viewers. No, that's on TSN. I mean, I just got a release from the NBA saying it's like the most watched game in Canada ever or something like that. I'm, I'm just sort of guessing what I skimmed through it. 
Uh, and that's great, but it doesn't help the, the U.S. broadcaster in terms of their ratings. Chris, want to get your thoughts on an interview Ricky Rubio did overseas where he uh, said the Jazz have informed him that uh, he is not their number one priority. Do you have thoughts on uh, what we learned there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my first thing is I'd, I'd like to hear it from Ricky Rubio in English. Sometimes these things can get lost in translation, you know, what he said and, and what he meant by all that. But it's not incredibly surprising. Uh, I think the Jazz, like, you know, like the Timberwolves before them, were hoping to, to take Ricky Rubio and, and really squeeze more of a shooter out of him. And that just hasn't happened. And in this league, it's, it's very difficult to to play that position and be a non-shooter. I mean, I go back to the series we saw the Bucks play against the Raptors. Down the stretch, fourth quarter, Eric Bledsoe, who is the better player than George Hill, was on the bench, largely because George Hill could make jump shots. And, you know, Ricky Rubio is an unbelievable playmaker in the open floor, and he's a, I think he's a very good defender, but he's not a shooter. And, and if you're Utah and you're trying to build a team around Donovan Mitchell and the young pieces you've got there, you got to have shooters at that position, so it's not surprising. I don't know if the, I really don't know if the door is totally closed. I haven't checked in with the Jazz on on any of that, but um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they decide to go in a different direction. What does that What does that say for point guards moving forward around the league? Do you think this is unique to to the Jazz, or do you think this is in fact the trend around the league that if you're a guard, whether you're a point or whether you're an off guard, you better be able to shoot, or else you're going to be severely limited. Yeah, I think that's always been the case, though. I mean, you know, there's only been a handful of, of high-level championship guards who, who haven't been able to shoot. I mean, Rajon Rondo comes to mind um, off the top of my head with what he was when Boston won back in 08. But, you know, the, most teams that, that, you know, play point guards have shooters. I mean, you look at the championship teams in the last few years, obviously Golden State was one of the greatest shooters ever. But across the way in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving – was a great shooter. George Hill was part of that Cavaliers team that went to the finals uh, last year. Uh, you, you just got to have guys that can make shots. It's as simple as that. I mean, you, defenses have become really sophisticated in, in today's NBA, and if they think they can leave you and, and cheat and do some some things with your man, they're going to do it. So, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed that Ricky Rubio hasn't developed a shot because, I mean, w- what do you do with your life? I mean, you're, you're a basketball player. You know, figure out a way to make jump shots. I, I firmly believe that you know, shooting jump shots is something you can learn. I've seen too many guys do it. I mean, Michael Red, who is one of the best shooters of this generation, he came into the NBA out of Ohio State, and he was a non-shooter. because George Carl said, look, you got to learn to shoot or else you can't play in the NBA, and he did. Jason Kidd, in the twilight of his career, you know, was a non-shooter for most of it. Twilight of his career, he learned how to be a shooter. I mean, that's, that's just something that, that guys have to work at and get better at, and, you know, it's disappointing that Ricky Rubio has not gotten to that point. I wonder what that means for Ben Simmons, Chris. I, he better. I mean, look, he better get on it. Like it's it's it puts a ceiling on on the kind of player that that you can be. Now, now Ben Simmons is is a strange case because there's there's an argument that I've heard that you know Ben Simmons right now is currently shooting with his wrong hand. So like that's something I think you need to kind of dig into and, and figure out. And I've seen some quotes from his high school coach that said you know something happened to Ben Simmons in in the year he had in college and and early in the pros that that he just lost confidence in his ability to shoot, but. Um, you know, if you want to be a champion, uh, be a world-class player on a championship team, you can't have that big a flaw in your game. You've got to be at least a threat from the outside. Chris, thank you so much as always. Uh, enjoy the finals. Thanks, Chris. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. And, of course, he does a great job covering the NBA, but he does a great job covering boxing as well. So timely to ask uh, Chris about uh, Gordon's new favorite athlete. I wonder, uh, I wonder if he had a speed bag when he was a kid. I don't know.
You could have asked him. You've been saying this. You've been saying this from the beginning with Ben Simmons, and and it seems like it's more and more true all the time. I think he was very much exposed in the playoffs this year. I mean, I think that the fact that he wasn't even touching the ball in crunch time in the playoffs and that it was all Jimmy Butler uh, doing all the playmaking for that team. I mean, where's his value? If that's if that's what you have to do down the stretch in playoff series where teams can game plan to take other players away, what are you supposed to do? And, and by the way, the Jazz have a similar problem with Ricky Rubio. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what they're addressing. But Ben Simmons supposedly is is a cornerstone of what they're trying to do as a franchise. And, and my whole point always has been: if you can't, if you take out one significant part of basketball that you absolutely can't do, and that's shoot. I mean, absolutely can't do it. I mean, how are you supposed to be, you know, the the best point guard in the league if you can't shoot? How is that even going to be possible? And not just of the year. and not just struggle, but can't do it. Funny, the Sixers drafted another point guard that can't really couldn't really shoot all that well either. with Fultz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is pretty clear moving forward, and it always will be as long as people stress that three is more than two. And, uh, you know, pick and roll being such a big part of the game, which is it's always been a big part of the game, but increasingly more so. Because what do you how do you create mismatches? What do if teams can just go under picks all the time, then you might as well figure out a different offense. Think about what what John Stockton did with Carl Malone and the pick and roll. And it's not like uh, John shot all that much, but everybody knew he could. You couldn't go under picks against him. He'd light you up. And the great part about John Stockton is if you, you know, fought over screens and you stuck with him, he'll also light you up because he'd figure <laughs> out the right pass to make and then he'd make it. But That's so valuable, just being able to shoot, even if you don't shoot that much. Yep, 100%. And if Ben Simmons can't shoot, and, and how about what Chris said right there, that uh, there are people out there that think he's shooting with the wrong hand? Oh, boy. But, but in all honesty, for that guy, learning how to shoot all over again is probably exactly what he needs to do. I suppose, but it's a little late for that. But uh, like Chris talked about, there are other players who uh, reinvented themselves as shooters and were able to uh, extend their careers in that regard. I, I this is this is the trend of the league, and I, I don't know. People will leave you alone. The thing about uh, Ricky Rubio was, yeah, he shot thirty-one percent from three, but how many? How often was he wide open? A lot. And if you left. Most point guards that open from distance, they're going to shoot a whole lot better than that. want to remind you, tomorrow is a win ticket Wednesday, and we're going to have B's tickets to the brand-new Ford Zone. The Ford Zone gets you a ticket on the berm and all-you-can-eat hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and churros from the left-field concession stand. Tickets are just 25 bucks each and available all season long. Ford Zone tickets can be purchased at the ballpark box office or at saltlakebees.com. Food, fun, fans, and Ford brought to you by your local Ford stores. Not Sports Report next. Stay tuned. Bowler in the house, top of the 5 o'clock hour, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. You don't have to be the biggest market in the league to win a championship. San Antonio was not considered a big market team until they started winning championships. You can win championships in small markets. You don't have to be in New York, L.A., San Francisco to get it done. Bigger markets have more ways they can do it, and they have more room for error and can recover more easily than a smaller market. Yes, the Jazz were right there to do it in the late 90s. I know they didn't win it, but they were championship caliber, right? What were they? Very 
regimented. Strong culture, great leadership by key players. The Jazz have this now. Now they just need more talent. So when I look yeah. at the way small markets have done it in the past, that's what jumps out to me. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now your not sports report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Shout out to Brian who wanted a little Sammy Hagar on a total request Tuesday. Car themed in honor of one Gordon Monson. Gordon, it's time for the Not Sports Board brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Where are we going today? We're going to Jersey. Birthplace of Patrick Kinnan. Indeed. So, question for you guys and all our listeners out there. Have you ever had the conversation with your dad when you say you're in college or maybe when you're in high school about the importance of getting a job? Oh, yeah. What'd that go like? Mm, you need a job, son. <laughs> I, I I had the, the job conversation with my dad at 15. And what did he say to you? Just get up off your lazy rump and get a job, sir. <laughs> Sir, <laughs> and uh, his reasoning for that was uh, what? Uh, take responsibility for yourself. Yeah, and so what kind of job did you get? I was a elementary school janitor. Really? Uh huh. Which I, that's the b- most fitting job for a Jake Scott that I could ever dream of. Ah, uh, why? He just looks and acts like the funky uh, school janitor we all had at elementary. Take that as a compliment. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I think you can. Austin, did you have the experience? Uh, we always, I, I had a job when I was like eight selling candy bars at the bus stop before school. And dad always taught us about how important it was to make money and work hard and turn in an honest day's work. But you know what my dad always did tell us? Do whatever makes you happy. You don't need to, you can always make money, but do what makes you happy. But he wanted you to be employed. Rich, yeah. No, not rich, just busy. Correct, yeah. He wanted us to be productive, yeah. All right, okay. Well, this story out of New Jersey, a, a kid by the name of, he's, not, he's 20 years old, Chris, Chris, uh, Chris, Chris, Nailed it. Chris, Chris Anthopoulos? Anyway, he's, uh, he's a college student in New Jersey, and his dad called him and said, let's go to lunch, and it was... The lecture that was coming about the importance of him getting summer employment. So they are in the car. They're on their way to the restaurant where he knows he's going to be lectured. And he decides that that might be a good time to reach into his wallet and pull out the lottery ticket that he had bought. So he does so and finds out. That he just won a million dollars on the way to the restaurant to get lectured about getting a summer job. (laughs) I think that's classic. Perfect. 
Why? My my father would absolutely still deliver the lecture. <laughs> well, because after taxes and whatnot, you know, you're going to get dinged pretty good there, and you, you're probably what do you end up with? Six hundred thousand. I would have been instructed to put that away for my future and go get a, a job because you you know you can uh, you can get other things from a job that are of value right you know like a sense of responsibility and accomplishment. Et well, the guy couldn't buy a hamburger without his dad's help before, and now he can buy a house. What was your first job? Paper route. I mean, besides that, uh, painting houses. I still don't believe you that painted you actually... houses before you were a paper boy. After. No, after. I oh, said I paper, gotcha. paper out doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Especially since you threw the load of them into the river. I uh, I, tr- I tried to get a job at the uh, at the dog hut or whatever it was, and I, I, I didn't make the cut. What, like hot dog on a stick? Yeah, well, it wasn't that. I but thought either that or like you were cleaning dogs, like no, in Dumb and Dumber. No, 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 no. It was it was a it was a hot dog place, and I thought to myself, what a I, bad I, name. I, I applied for, I applied for dog the job. Hunt. I don't know if that's what it was called. And I I go home, and I I said to my dad, who was very much into responsibility, that was my that was his thing, you know. And I said, yeah, I applied for a job at uh, the whatever it was called, the hot dog hut. <laughs> and I didn't get it. So I thought, oh, I think I'm just going to give up. <laughs> no, but then my friends and I, we started our own little business of painting houses, and we painted houses all summer. Oh, you started your own little business? Yeah. Oh, then that totally doesn't count. That Why not? No, you got to have you, a, an overlord. Yeah, you half painted one fence, and you're <laughs> no, like, yeah, I worked true. for a summer. And no, no. no chance you had a license or paid taxes. Right. Oh, well, yeah. That's true. I, but uh, hold, hold on here. That's not hold a job. Hold on here. I, we worked our butts off. That's not a job. No, we worked. That doesn't we painted, count. I'd say, I'd guess we painted uh, 10 houses a summer. Full houses. We did that. It was a real job. <laughs> I don't believe that. There was a there, there was a time when the one guy called, and it was it got to be about eleven o'clock in the morning. We had all the ladders out, and we had all the stuff going, and, and we decided, you know, I don't really feel like working today. Let's go to the beach. So, so my buddies and I, we all jumped in a car and went to the beach, and we left all our stuff <laughs> draped all over the house. That didn't go over so well. I told you a story how we killed all the fish in that one little creek that ran in front of the house we were painting. But, you know, on the whole, we did a really good job. Wait a minute. Who in their right mind <laughs> That's what we always would, thought. would hire a couple of punk teenagers to paint their house? It was when we were in high school. And, right. And uh, it was probably, we had, there were three. There, the, the first year, there were like four of us. And the second year, we broke off and added a couple. Uh, so we had we actually branched out. And, and Did you also sell them a bridge? Or? No. Yeah. No, uh-huh. it was amazing to me that uh-huh. these people who lived in these nice homes would trust us to what, to, 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 to do their, to, to paint their house. Mm. But we did it. We did good work. And it was, it was uh, you know, we were reasonable, our prices. I'm not buying it. Nope. No, not for a second. <laughs> it was. No. Hey, look, guys. I'll, you want me to get one of my high school friends on here to tell you some stories about the, the, the major jobs we took on? 
No. So let me get these. <laughs> let me get this straight. Uh, people who are living in these nice houses think like, "Wow, I could call a, a painting company like Serta Pro one eight hundred Go Serta." I don't that's, have a mattress by them. That's though, a Jake. that's a Serta with a C. We do painting. You do life. Or I I could I could what, call do you own the stock in that company. Or something? I could uh, call the. Uh, yeah, Darryl, the local Boy Scouts. The derelict buffoon teenagers down the road to come in and do a crappy job. Yeah, I'm not buying it. We did a good job. Yeah. That was the thing. I bet you We were did. up there scraping paint in the middle of the July heat back east. Humid? Oh, man. Also, is 10 houses in a summer, is that a, a good workload there? Isn't that like 18 days of work? No, no, no. These uh, these are big jobs. You know, we had to paint the whole Who's house. Who's painting their entire house? Usually paint a room or a wall. No, no, we were painting the exterior of the home. And absolutely no chance. This is true. Then it is true. Where people could drive by and see. Yes, that's how. That's how we. That's how we got work. People would see us painting houses, and they would drive up, and they'd say, "Hey, my house needs painting too. Would you mind coming over and giving me an estimate?" So we would go over and and look at the job and and determine a price and 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 go at it. I was I was hanging off of roofs. You know, painting the eaves and stuff, scraping paint. Give okay, me- Peter Parker. <laughs> okay, so when was the first? What, what was the first actual job you had where you were employed? Like you filled out a W nine or yeah. whatever. Um, you had a boss W two. Oh, that happened in there somewhere. <laughs> it was the newspaper, wasn't it? No, no. I had a couple other jobs. I had a janitor job once. Yeah, that I entirely don't believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was a gardener. Was it for one of those magic schools that, that cleans I, itself? A gardener. I was. Okay, that's <laughs> the end of this conversation. That never insulting our intelligence. Never no. happened. No, I was Absolutely a gardener. I, 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 mow, I mowed lawns and I picked weeds and I nope. did all kinds of jobs. <laughs> nope. <laughs> what Grandma paid you for an afternoon? No. No, you guys got this all wrong. Bowler is rolling in. I'm I just saw him. What? This is this is an outrage. I'm gonna have to get one of my buddies that I was doing all that work with, and they'll tell you we were we we worked our butts. So off. you're gonna pay your neighbor to call us, and we got paid quite well. You know, sure, my you neighbor. <laughs> Bowler's in the house next. Stay tuned. Ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty of the zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Ricky Rubio news breaking over the weekend. He essentially said that the Jazz have told me that I am not a priority of theirs in free agency. Surprise you? No, it doesn't at all. I'd almost resigned to the fact that Ricky Rubio was gone even before locker room cleanup. I felt like there needed to be an improvement there. One of Ricky's biggest downfalls was his jump shot. There needed to be an improvement at the point. I think you believe that. I think I believe that. Yeah. Even if that improvement is Donovan Mitchell playing the point. I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on Ricky because he could be back with the Jazz. I think that there are guys out there that could be more productive and create more of a championship-style culture. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. All right, 